0: Hi, I'm Bastian Best, a European patent attorney who helps companies make sense of patents in the digital transformation, and you are listening to IP Fridays.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from. In-house or private practice, novice or expert, we will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools and much more.
2: Welcome to episode 120 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Bastian Best, an expert in the field of patenting of software and AI. And we are talking about the decision G1 of 19 of the Enlarged Board of Appeals of the European Patent Office. And this um, decision dealt with the application of AI in simulations. So stay tuned. It will be a very interesting interview for you. And before we jump into the interview, I have some more IP-related news for you. The European Patent Office also has recently decided the case of G4 of 19 in the large boards of appeal on 22nd of June 21. And this was about double patenting. And the headword says a European patent application can be refused if it claims the same subject matter as a European patent which has been granted to the same applicant and does not form part of the state of the art according to article so-and-so, the novelty articles, so if it doesn't form state of the art with regard to novelty. and then it also says the application can be refused on that legal basis irrespective of whether it was filed on the same date or is an earlier application or a division application in respect of, or claims the same priority of as the European patent application leading to the European patent already granted. So this is quite interesting and gives some more legal certainty to applicants going to the European patent office. Another thing that just happened is that the Supreme Court of the US has decided some interesting case on June 21st of 21. The Supreme Court just said that basically over 200 patent judges were improperly appointed, but Also, it found that the inter partes reviews of the USPTO are constitutional, so the USPTO, the officers at the USPTO can uh, basically decide whether already granted patents can be invalidated or not. Then I also have some news on my own behalf. Um, I will be switching to a much larger patent law firm of Michalski, Hüttermann and Partner, effective 1st of August 21, so stay tuned, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Now, let's jump into the interview with Bastian Best. Welcome to today's interview of IP Fridays. Today's guest is Bastian Best. If you don't know who Bastian is, he's the leading expert in patenting of software and AI. And he currently has his own patent law firm. Before, he was partner at Bardele, one of the largest European IP law firms. And he is a frequent speaker at several conferences. For example, you can listen to him at the Swiss Leaders Dialogue Industry in 23rd of June 2021 or the annual meeting of the National Association of Patent Practitioners on 20th of July 2021. And I'm very grateful that you are on the show. Thank you
0: very much, Bastian. Thank you very much, Rolf. It's a a pleasure to be on the show today. And I'm really uh, curious uh, to talk about my my favorite topic.
2: (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, so do you want to add anything? Maybe I forgot something. I held
0: it rather short. <laughs> uh, thanks. Thanks, Rolf. So I mean, after this introduction, I can probably only lose. <laughs> so yeah, as you just said, yeah, my, my um, field of, of passion is really uh, patents for AI or patents for computer-based uh, inventions uh, in general. And uh, that's because I have been a computer guy all my life, basically. Uh, so I studied computer science, and then eventually became a patent attorney and worked for yeah more than a decade now, exclusively on on uh, software patents. And that's what I'm doing still today. Very nice, and good to see that software
2: patents are actually patentable sometimes. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> so um yes i already mentioned that you are really in my view one of the real experts in software and ai patenting in europe and but before we dive into the new um decision of the enlarged boards of appeal of the european patented um, office maybe you can give our listeners a short overview of um, the recent developments in europe with regard to patentability of ai or maybe software What happened? Where did it move? uh, The
0: case law? Can you explain a little bit? Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, the the specific thing about the the European patent system is, I would say that, let's say, the conceptual framework is is really stable and it has been in place for for, uh, over a decade. Um, it's, it's really stable. Um, also concerning the patentability of, of software on a conceptual level. Um, because we have the Convict approach. Um, so, which in a nutshell basically says that, um, the, the decisive question in the end is, is always inventive step, obviousness, right? And here the convic approach basically says that you have to, to, uh, figure out which part of the invention in your patent claim contributes to a te- to the solution of a technical problem only that part can enter into the obviousness assessment and the whole non-technical part um, is just disregarded basically so that's the conceptual approach which has been around for quite some time and which is yeah i, I think quite reliable and, and, and predictable. The, the real music, of course, plays then in the details because the, the hinging question then is always what is technical and what is not technical. And uh, here, I mean, yeah, software is kind of in the mix, you can do all sorts of things with software. You can do technical things and non-technical things alike. Um, so so that's where it gets really interesting and um, also here we have lots of case law because I mean the European patent office is one of the largest uh, patent offices in the world. Many cases go on appeal so we have lots of case law um, uh, to, to draw conclusions from. Uh, in the field of AI, however, there's that's a relatively relatively new field uh, for for patent uh, uh, timeframes, so there is not so much case law around. In fact. There's also a second source of information in the European patent system, the guidelines for examination, which is basically a large textbook for, for patent examiners. And, and they added a new chapter about AI and machine learning, which I have some concerns with, I, I have to say. Maybe we get into that uh, later then. Yes, but can you maybe uh, give our listeners a
2: short, um, brief uh, summary like, are there guidelines? What is technical and what is not technical? Is there, um, is there like, um, like a red line somewhere where it's not technical anymore? Or
0: um, is that the case by case decision? <laughs> in the end, it's a case by case decision. So there's no, no blacklist and also no whitelist uh, in the law. Um, but uh, yeah, this, this notion of technicality is left open deliberately. Um, because the idea is that, yeah, our world evolves and the, the, the understanding of technology should also evolve. And so the patent system should be adaptable to that. Uh, so we, what we can say right now, the status quo is, um, as it is codified uh, right now in in the guidelines, um, that let's say the, the 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 computational models underlying machine learning, so the neural networks, the training algorithms, uh, regression algorithms, things like that, uh, these things are considered by the European Patent Office um, to be mathematical constructs, and uh, those are considered. In themselves, non-technical, uh, by the EPO, that's that's a pl- pretty clear um, statement in the guidelines. Um, so, which means mm-hmm. then in in practice that right now, I would say improvements in in core AI. So, if you if you come up with a new kind of uh, neural network, a new structure, which Just operates faster. Or if you invent a new training algorithm, which just converges faster. And uh, even if every AI uh, scientist would be completely stunned how, how fast it is, you will not get a a, a European patent on this um, innovation because it's not, it's just a mathematical uh, innovation for the EPO, but not a technical invention. Uh, AI becomes technical then either if you apply it to really solve a technical problem in the, let's say, in the classical technical world. Uh, If you use AI, I don't know, to to control your machinery in the production plant, for example, or if you really have a specific technical implementation of your AI algorithm. Mm. Okay, for example, if you have new protocols,
2: how to transfer data, uh, between the AI, basically an AI server and an AI client or, for example, if you have if you use AI to increase the security of a computer system, mm.
0: maybe, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, that would be good examples. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, the nutshell is always, let's say, theoretical improvements in AI are not patentable, because that's more on the mathematical side, but uh, applied AI, if you apply Uh, machine learning to do something in the in the real world, then it gets patentable at the EPO currently.
2: Okay, so now there has been a decision of the large boards of appeal of the EPO about uh, simulations and AI used in simulations. Um, What has led to that decision? And um, when did it come
0: out? Well, that was quite recent, right? Yeah, the decision itself came out in March, uh, March 10, uh, so roughly three months ago. Um, but there's a long history of, of this case. So maybe generally how these things work at in the European patent system is that originally there, there was just an uh, a normal patent application. In fact, uh, this one, it, it was filed in 2003, I think, so quite a while ago. Um, it was uh, refused by the patent examiner and then you can go on appeal um, to to appeal against the refusal decision. Um, The case then gets handed over to one of the technical boards of appeal um, and they then essentially decide uh, for themselves whether the first instance refusal was correct or not. And normally you get a decision then, a final decision by the Technical Board of Appeal. Um, In this case, however, um, the Technical Board in charge uh, was intending to to deviate from uh, an earlier decision. And in in those cases where either, let's say, a, a fundamental point of law is at stake or when one board tends to deviate from another board, Um, they can then refer questions to the enlarged board of appeal, which is then really the, the, the final judicial instance in the European patent system. And this happened in that case. So the technical board of appeal referred certain questions to the enlarged board. Um, the enlarged board uh, then um, gave the, uh, the opportunity for everyone to file um, observations, so-called amicus curiae briefs. Um, there were, I think, in the range of roughly 20 uh, briefs maybe submitted from various stakeholders, from uh, many patent firms, but also from uh, patent applicants um, in the simulation uh, field. Um, and then there was an oral hearing, This was in July last year, so already during the pandemic. So this, uh, it was actually streamed. It was the first uh, Enlarged Board of Appeal hearing, which was uh, streamed live over the Internet. So everyone, because these hearings are public, um, everyone could register. And then I also uh, watched it. Um, And then it took the, after the oral hearing, it took the uh, Enlarged Board roughly eight months now to come up with uh, the written decision then. Okay, maybe
2: can you explain the underlying patent application, briefly summarize what mm-hmm. it was about and why it was refused, maybe, and maybe you can
0: already briefly summarize yeah. the decision, like what what, what was the outcome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just such briefly, so the invention in this case was about uh, simulating um, pedestrian crowd movements. So um, the use case is basically that consider that uh, if you are, let's say, an architect um, and you want to design a new, you want to build a new uh, airport or a train station or a, a soccer stadium, uh, maybe. Um, so these are rather uh, complex uh, projects so instead of uh, building the whole thing and then figuring out that i don't know the emergency uh, weights are too small or something like that um, you could do prototypes of course smaller scale prototypes um, but the invention was about simulating uh, crowd movements through such an environment so basically what you would have is um, you would have a, a model of the environment you are intending to build so a definition of where the ground floor and where the walls are where the doors are things like that all in a in a in a model and then you would have a mathematical model of of how a pedestrian would move in, in such an environment, with certain rules, uh, of course, a pedestrian cannot move through walls and other obstacles. Things like that, you can all model all of that mathematically, and then you can just, uh, yeah, duplicate your pedestrian model. So you have a crowd of, let's say, a thousand uh, pedestrians, and then you can just simulate how they they move through this environment, and then you can draw conclusions um, about how this. Yeah, design of, of, uh, of the building, whether it's, it meets the requirements or not. So that was what the invention was about. So really a virtual invention, I would say. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds maybe rather technical designing a a building and things like that. But in the end, it's all uh, happens in the computer. It's all just a simulation. It's just virtual. Um one, one point that is crucial in the end then also is you could also use this kind of simulation not for building a, an airport, but maybe for, I don't know, uh, controlling how uh, an army should move in a computer game. So there are really technical uses for it and, and also maybe non-technical uses. So in the first instance, uh, the examiner refused the application because he said, well, the whole uh, simulation part is, is non-technical and doesn't contribute to inventive step. Um, so the case went on appeal and the technical board of appeal said, um, they took a very, very strict stance. At one point, they said that according to their opinion, um, the question of, 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 uh, technical character requires at a minimum a direct link with physical reality. So that was one statement um, I'm re- I was really concerned about, whether the enlarged board would confirm that or not. Um, and also, I mean, they, they deviated from this earlier case law, which would, which spoke in favor of the patentability of simulation methods, as long as what you are simulating is a technical system. Um yeah okay so what
2: was decided then <laughs> what what did the enlarged was of appeal say
0: <laughs> yeah uh, I mean it's a long <laughs> uh, long and and really densely written uh, decision it's uh, 65 pages roughly in, in, in total so all in all it's a really a, I would say a, a, a nice piece of, of legal legal work here it's certainly so there's really no no short answer simulations, yes or no, Um, but um, overall, I would say my key takeaways are that the decision is really no revolution, um, but it's also no regression. So that was my main concern. but yeah, it's really a controlled, controlled evolution of of what we already have. I would say so. On the one hand, the decision clearly confirms that uh, the, the conceptual framework I was explaining in the beginning, the comic approach, um, is the way to to assess computer implemented inventions, and it also applies to simulations. So this conceptual framework is is confirmed. And on the other hand, the decision really uh, leaves the door open for future developments. Um, that's a good thing, in my opinion, in particular concerning this notion of technicality. Because as I said, the referring board took this, in my view, really, really conservative point of view that um, basically you always need a direct link to physical reality. So which would mean you you could only patent really embedded software in the end where you either really uh, measure data using sensors on the input side or where you really control some kind of machinery or some kind of technical process on the output side um, that's this direct link which was uh, required by the referring board and here the enlarged board explicitly now says that this direct link with physical reality is uh, um, is a maybe a sufficient criterion uh, in many cases, but it's not a necessary one that's that's uh, an output an outcome I really like also this notion that there, there the is no and should never be an exhaustive definition of technicality. Um, so this leaves the door open, as I said, for future developments. Um, and yeah, then last of all, there is, when we get into the really the, the nitty gritty details of the decision, there are lots of statements in there, which, um, yeah, can help uh, to argue in favor of, of uh, the technicality of uh, software-based inventions in the future, but as a result, the application was refused. <laughs> um, the enlarged board did not um, decide on the specific application. They just answer the, the okay. job of the enlarged board is just to yeah. answer the questions that are referred uh, to mm-hmm. them, and that that they did. So they just gave, let's say, general guidelines for this field, for the field of uh, simulations. Now, interestingly, um, on the other hand, uh, the case now came back to the, to the uh, original technical board, mm-hmm. uh, which was referring, and now the case came back. And in the meantime, this uh, referring board now um, um, scheduled uh, an oral hearing, um, for I think it will happen in November the oral hearing, and they also issued a preliminary opinion. And in that preliminary opinion, they say that uh, well now the enlarged board has rendered its decision, and it gives useful guidance. And they say that um, um, they 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 jump on one point the enlarged board was mentioning, um, and this is uh, that. Um, calculated technical effects. So in a simulation, I mean, the, the output, the effect is really only, only a virtual one. It only happens in a computer. It, it's not a material one in the real world, but it's just a calculated, uh, technical effect. And they say that um, in in this case, okay, uh, now we know that um, the output of the invention here is really the the behavior of a crowd moving through the environment. And um, that is not a technical um, effect in in that sense. Um, So yeah, the referring board, the technical board still uh, intends to refuse the application.
2: Okay. Hmm. Bad luck for the patent applicant. <laughs> yeah, 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 but okay. he has done,
0: nevertheless, a great job sure, in, in advancing the the European case law. <laughs> so yes, merits uh, merits for that. So, but what does this decision mean for
2: the patentability of AI or simulations in particular for the future? Uh, what do you? What is your takeaway for the future? Well, does that change your point of view or how you draft patent applications in that
0: field? Um, it, I think it doesn't really change the fundamentals, as I said. Uh, but I, in in the details, there are there are. A number of helpful statements in the decision, which, which, um, help us patent attorneys make arguments in favor of, of the patentability of AI. I mean, one p- point I'm, I'm always fighting uh, with is, as I said in the beginning, this, this aspect that, uh, innovations in core AI irrespective of whether the application is then technical or not, um, whether that is patentable or not. And um, now that the board, the, the large board, has explicitly stated that uh, the notion of technicality is really open and should be adaptable to the future developments, uh, my argument would be, I mean, that machine learning is one of the core technologies of, of the future, no doubt. And so this, this should really be uh, considered to be a technical uh, field so from that point uh, you could use the the uh, g1 of 19 to 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 make the case but um, in the end it's really left left open mm, okay there are uh, concerning the patentability of 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 machine learning inventions i mean Aside from this whole technicality aspect, there are also other interesting points right now in the European uh, patent system. One of them being disclosure of the invention, uh, for example, which, which can be kind of tricky for, for AI inventions. So would you recommend
2: uh, to US patent practitioners uh, who are among our listeners? A lot of our listeners are from the US to carefully read this uh, decision to get uh, hints and uh, tips how to draft a U.S. patent application that then enters into the EP phase at a later stage?
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, of course, that makes, that makes sense. Of course. Yeah, that's always what I uh, try to explain, um, uh, U.S. clients, um, that, yeah, it's, it's a good thing if, for important cases, at least, uh, before the priority application is filed in the U.S. to hand it to the European representative, uh, to to yeah just um, uh, amend the the priority application for for each target uh, jurisdiction uh, for that matter and yeah I mean um, on the one hand in the US there are of course I mean the the discussion is more about patent eligibility I understand and less about the obviousness hurdle but uh, at least what I hear from my US uh, friends uh, is that if you can make it in in Europe if you can convince the european uh, um, uh, patent office that there is a technical contribution that's also helpful for uh, for the USPTO so in that sense yes of course it makes sense to to study the decision
2: <laughs> so and then maybe my last question before we wrap up um, Where do you see the biggest challenges for patenting of AI in Europe? Um, What do you think is the biggest obstacle? You already mentioned um, inventive step, but what does it mean in particular? And are there other criteria that may be important to look at?
0: Yeah 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 it's it's really i would say it's really an inventive step and in what we just talked about this technicality question i hope that there will be future um, um decisions of the boards of appeal uh, that really clarify or give some more guidance uh, which is a more let's say more elaborated than this for me rather too absolute statement in the guidelines that the mathematical foundations are just out of the the scope of of the european patent system. uh that's my hope on on the technicality front so to say. and um in practice really if we move away from the core ai innovations and if we look at uh, really uh, if inventions are about uh, applying ai for a certain use case um then the invention is oftentimes not, not about a new training algorithm, but really about how to apply it to a specific domain. Um, and here the question is, in fact, uh, oftentimes the situation is oftentimes that the applicant on the one time, ta- on the one hand, wants to get a, a patent on, on using AI for that use case. Um, but on the other hand, they do not want to disclose how they do it specifically because the, really the, the, uh, the, the 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 main efforts go into how the the neural network is trained and how the model is built and uh, that's something that applicants tend to to want to keep secret um, so there's this this yeah dilemma between uh, you want a monopoly on the one hand but to get a patent you have to disclose how it works and you don't want to disclose your training data your model and um yeah so that's that's the tricky point um to to get a a disclosure in the patent application which um yeah is is sufficient to get a patent and uh, to not to, to reveal uh, the secret source uh yeah that's that's yeah. tricky
2: in practice do you need to disclose like sample um, training data or do you need to disclose like a sample training algorithm, even if it's not the optimum, um, just <laughs> to just to de- show that to demonstrate that the invention is workable?
0: Yeah, as I said, so on these detailed aspects, there's not much case law around uh, yet, but there are some uh, decisions, two decisions come to mind, from, uh, recent decisions from the, the Technical Boards of Appeal, which really um, uh, refused uh, patent applications because they didn't reveal how the neural network was trained uh, in a nutshell. So in that case, the the Technical Board really asked for at least one specific training data set, I think was the wording. So, yeah, it makes sense to disclose at least some training data and at least some uh, examples of how how the AI is trained. And you already mentioned it. Yeah, sometimes it's maybe uh, um, there's no requirement in the European patent law to, to give the best mode you know, so yeah, in, in Europe, you could theoretically disclose one possible way of training the, the neural network, which works, but it, which is probably not the, the ab- absolute uh, optimum. Yeah, that's maybe mm-hmm. the, a good, good uh, uh, trade off.
2: Okay, yeah. So um, if people want to learn more about you and want to get in touch with you after this interview, where can where do you want to send them?
0: Uh, yeah, well, you also, when you already mentioned, uh, uh, that I'm doing this, this, uh, podcast, uh, which is produced, uh, very, very amateurish, I would say, compared to yours. Um, uh, but nevertheless, maybe it's interesting. Um, uh, on the one hand, so my, my whole, my, my, um, overall content hub, so to say, is really my, my website, bastianbest.com. And there you will find links to everything I put out there. Uh, I put out uh, lots of, of free stuff, including the podcast, YouTube. And I'm quite active on LinkedIn also, if you want to connect there. All right. So I'm linking your LinkedIn
2: profile and your homepage in the show notes so people can easily reach you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Rolf.
0: This was great. Thank you.
1: That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com/love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, Please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com/feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com/itunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com/voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.